welcome everybody to this week's edition of Tricky Kid Radio. My host again this week, my best friend in the whole freaking world, Chris Todd. Aloha. <laughs> Aloha, Mr. Han. Yes, that's better in trade. <laughs> that's what I said to you when you came over today. Right. Uh, welcome to our third and final uh, for now. Uh, but we've been doing this this Motley Crue series where, uh, and I hope you've heard parts one and two. If you have not, check it out at, at iTunes. Uh, just type in Tricky Kid Podcast Radio or Tricky Kid Radio Podcast and it'll come up. Or you can go to tricky-kid.com and stream it and download it there if you're not an iTunes user. Uh, parts one and two, Chris, what a good time that was. It was a blast. I'm really enjoying uh, getting to sit down and, and break down one of our favorite bands that we grew up with. Well, yeah. And again, like I said, if, if you if you don't know the story, Chris and I met uh, right after the uh, their Girls, Girls, Girls album uh, had come out. And I had just seen the tour uh, and I had just moved. I was new in town and we actually had met at school and had bonded over Motley Crue. And I'm proud to say that almost 30 years later, we're still great friends and, and, uh, uh, still, you know, we're still best friends That's and right. still, uh, uh, rocking to Motley. Do you, do you know what I mean? And so, Absolutely. uh, anyway, so this is going to, so we're going to, we're going to wrap up the Motley, uh, this episode, uh, again, for now, but like I said, what we've done is is we took you through the entire 80s in part one, and then we took you through um, the 90s uh, for the most part and uh, and a little bit beyond that in part two. So now what we're going to do is we're going to take you through uh, the, 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 the millennial period of Motley Crue, uh, pretty much starting around uh, right after the, uh, their book The Dirt came out and uh, after 2001. We're going to get into all that here in, in just a little bit. Uh, more. Uh, first thing I wanted to talk about this week, whatever, was that, you know, a very, very important day in the history of music, um, whether, you know, naysayers be damned, whatever, was the beginning of, of MTV. And so August 1st, uh, 1981, MTV launched that shuttle and, uh, you know, the, the things were a lot different. And, and I, what I want to talk about is I want to compare to, like, how different would Motley Crue's career had been if that concept and that shuttle had not taken off or, or the concept hadn't taken off? Um, what, are your, what are your memories? Like, when you think of early MTV, what is the first thing you think about? Well, uh, you know, the first thing I remember, the, the first video that I remember, and that's probably why I'm – a heavy metal fan uh, was Iron Maiden Run to the Hills. Okay, okay. That was my first memory of watching a video on MTV. Really? I'm sure okay. I watched more, but but that was the one. That my earliest memory of video watching it was Run to the Hills. Okay, you know, and that was you know it had such an imprint on me. Um, you know, again, because you had the visuals, you know, right? And, and I guess that's what we can talk about. We can discuss about what this did for Motley Crue, but. Um, yeah, it's not. You're just not in mom and dad's car, you know, listening to the song, you right. know, or you have it playing on a record. Um, you have a visual of, you know, what the artist wanted to interpret uh, with their material. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, and you know, and again, and now you know that uh, uh, being a, a huge Loverboy fan. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. Those were my memories as well. Was uh, you know, I think there was working for the weekend sure. video. Uh, you won't be lonely when what is it when it's over? Uh, well, then later on, I, I can firmly remember how, how young I was. I can firmly remember putting together a Lego set 
uh, which now in this day and age, that it could be, I could be 38, right? But uh, uh, I can remember being, I guess, about nine years old and putting together this Lego set I'd gotten. And Lover Boys, uh, Love and Ever Minute of it. That yeah. was my, oh, yeah. that was, that was my thing, man. Yeah, like like, yeah it was my jam. Uh, but, you know, but, here, but here's the thing, okay? And this is what I wanted, wanted to mention was, okay, is that the aesthetic of Motley Crue is so powerful and so almost like it was made for MTV, okay? But right before we came on air, uh, we were watching their performance from the US Festival, which is from 83, so it's two years into the MTV thing, but still by 83, most cable companies didn't have it. Remember the whole I want my MTV mm, right. campaign because it was to get people to you know call your local cable company, tell them you demand your MTV. Remember, it was like a grassroots thing. It was. And when they performed at the US Festival, it was, even though they were in full Shout at the Devil garb, the album hadn't come out yet. And I love this, and this is a juxtaposition I want to compare was because they're doing all these songs in front of literally a Woodstock-sized crowd. I mean, you saw it, literally almost a half a million people. And, you know, they had a little bit of pride there because they're from Hollywood, California. But they come out there in that full shot of the devil garb at like 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And people, by the end of their set, you're seeing them introduce this landmark album four months before it was released. And, by, and so it shows you that the look, but also the music was there. So if you take that music and you take that unforgettable, unbelievable aesthetic of the way that it looked and combine it together, if you didn't like this band, you were, you were an asshole or you didn't have a pulse. I completely agree. Uh, you know, they had, like you said, you know, they were what, San Bernardino? San Bernardino, California, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, they had their reputation, you know, they had their, their fan base there. Um, and and hard fought and well-deserved. Well well-deserved. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, again, it, it was their their live set, which is what made them and, you know, why they had such a huge fan base. Um, so I think they had that going for them. But, you know, again, to your point, you know, when you had these guys come out and they are just pumped. And, you know, they're hungry and you have this aesthetic, this look, like you said, you know, um, even if you'd never heard of them or you never heard of their music, if you see this band, if you're at that festival, you know, you're taken back, you know, you're, yeah. you're blown away. Well, and also, I mean, we have to mention it like, okay, if even if you weren't watching the band, you were watching the girls watching that band. Right. And if you're a young person, you know, you always pay attention to the band that the girls like. Yes. Uh, and, and, uh, and, uh, but for me, like I said, uh, you know, being able to, to, like you said, to spend a day, you know, to do this with my best friend talking about the band that united us mm-hmm. and, and, and we're still united to document this is perfect. It's absolutely perfect. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I wanted to mention this. Okay, first of all, I wanted to say happy birthday to MTV because uh, I heard there's going to be the MTV Classics channel, and that's so cool. But I also heard that it's ratings-minded, so it's going to be kind of, according to MTV Classic, MTV started around like 1993 (laughs) because it's going to have a lot of, you know, that kind of stuff. And I guess if you didn't live it, like I said, that the early 80s 
most of the mid eighties MTV stuff was just, you know, these collegey looking, uh, you know, VJs sitting in an empty studio, you know, talking to the screen. So I, I, I can see how they might be worried how that would translate, but for people who lived it, I would watch it. So they just made available the first four hours, the very first four hours of the launch. And I would, that was so fun watching that while ago. What, what does that bring back for you when you see that? Well, again, it, it, it brings me back to where, you know, again, it was, it was a new age. Um, it was something that, you know, we never had before. Right, right. Um, it was a new outlet for, you know, a musical experience um, that I really think is, is really lost it is. today. It is. You know, and, you know, you have your musicians, artists, they, they, they still create videos, but, and again, it, the, the cost of, of making a video um, and the fact that you don't really have many outlets for your fan base to be exposed to that. Um, it, you know, again, it, it's just, it's a lost art, you know? And again, I know that, you know, we lived it. We lived it. Yeah. Um, and we're, you know, we, we sound like the, the crotchety old man that says, you know, Hey, you know, MTV isn't what it used to be. You right. Know, we used to watch videos all day. We wanted our music. Well, I, well, I understand why they don't show videos anymore. And I think that's to your point that we're not crotchety old men because we understand right. that like that, it, that there's a reason why in, there's not videos anymore, but I don't see why there couldn't be, like I said, like a classic network where people that if they wanted to see it, they could, mm -hmm. you know, uh, like it's just, you know, there's a VH1 classic uh, channel. Why not an MTV? You know, I mean, they're all about the same company. So why right. not? The point though, I think is it what makes this argument valid to what we're talking about is that you hear this term a little too loosely too often, like, Oh man, there'll never be another, but <laughs> there'll never be another Motley crew. And, and, yeah. and this is what, what will prove that. Is because again, what if MTV didn't come around? I mean, like, is it is it fair to say in your mind that the reason why uh, they were so popular in the eighties was because MTV got behind them? Because they really didn't start taking off until MTV got behind them and had that vehicle. They were they were still again a year after uh, Shout of the Devil had come out. They had they were I mean they were still opening for Ozzy and they got him a lot of exposure. Is it fair to say that, it, you know, and, and I think MTV felt like they might have dropped the ball. So by the time the theater of pain had come around for smoking in the boys room and and uh, home sweet home, they were they realized that, you know, this band is born for our our our, our medium, you know. But but my point is what makes them so unique and, and would never come around. Is, is it fair to say that like a lot of people would think that, well, they were so popular in the 80s because of the MTV machine behind them. And when MTV decided to no longer be behind them or get or, you know, in the 90s and then later on, that's when the lean years happened. Or did Motley give them a reason and couldn't be ignored? And then later on, you know, either they didn't or again, the medium had changed. But regardless, I still think that Motley owes some debt to MTV. What do you think? I completely agree with that. Uh, you know, you take a look at, and we talked about how, you know, MTV, you know, if you had MTV, it was on 24-7. Yeah. That's all you, all we watch, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, people don't grasp that, do they? Because think, think about that. Okay. My television was never off. It was almost like I was scared to turn it off because it was like, oh my God, we've got cable, which for poor kids like you and I growing up, we might as well had a portion down. So we couldn't believe that we had cable and we had MTV. So we just kept it on. It was a companion. Talk about that. Yeah, it was. Um, and again, uh, 
you know, you're, you're exposed to these videos, you know, multiple times a day. Um, and with Molly crew and, you know, the videos that, that they put together, you know, for the shout out the devil, um, I think it was it was it was a perfect match. Yeah, you know because my, uh, MTV can take a look at this band, you know, take a look at their music, at their their look, and you know have a, uh, a you know art, artistic uh, directive uh, for their music. Um, it, you know, it, it was a perfect recipe for this for this band. Sure. So yeah, I mean, I know would Motley Crue be as popular as they were without Motley Crue? I I don't think so. No. Okay. And see, I agree with that too. And that's, that's nothing taking away from Motley. It's not. But I'm just saying that that, oh. that kind of marriage, like Motley, weren't going to be ignored. So it's to their credit, but it's also to MTV's credit to capitalize on it. And I think that one without the other, you know what I mean? You know? Yeah. Well, let's go back to where this all started with Too Fast for Love. Right. You know, um, it it didn't have MTV behind it. And look what it did. And, yeah. and look how successful it was. Right. Um, but. Uh, MTV made Molly Crew a household name. That's right. That's right. And so to that, we want to say happy birthday to MTV because, again, I, I, I miss it. I mean, I'm not – again, I understand why it, it is what it is. But at the same time, I miss it being that companion. I, I, I miss being – I miss the innocence of it. I miss it being communal. I miss the whole family getting involved with it, especially later on with the Dallas MTV shows, which I should also – I mentioned earlier in part one about how they had to retire – the home sweet home video because uh, it had been play, it had been requested so much. Um, but I wanted to parlay that into this was where we last left off was again was um, Motley had put out the new tattoo record at the start of the millennium in two thousand and but without Tommy Lee unfortunately uh, they had Randy Castillo on drums for a while unfortunately he passed away and then they even had like Samantha Mahoney from Hole for a while and it was um, so it was just kind of like you know. You know, Generation Swine was supposed to be the reunion, and it kind of felt like a misfire. Uh, New Tattoo, well, now they're not all together again. And so they came out with that book called The Dirt. And again, like I told you in in part two, if you haven't read The Dirt, (laughs) get it. Go sit somewhere and have a shower handy because you will want to cleanse yourself uh, afterwards. But it is amazing. Uh, written from the perspective of all four members, along with Neil Strauss, to help them write it. But the band after that was, you know, was essentially done. Okay, I mean, Nikki was had moved on to, to a band called Fifty Eight and Brides of Destruction. Uh, Vince was doing like reality TV and like the remaking of Vince Neil, and uh, he was on the surreal live. He was just trying to get a gig, you know. Uh, Tommy had his that 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 methods of mayhem thing to various levels of 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 success. And uh, and Mick, of course, was unfortunately was dealing with still dealing with a very very rare disease where his spine is infusing with his uh, his his bones there. Uh, so a lot of people thought, well, you know, should they have called it quits? And and keep in mind that's 2001. And this band still stretched for almost another 15 years. But at the end of that 15 years, they weren't playing the county fair and you know Chickasaw Mud Puppy Georgia. It was three sold out nights at the the Staples Center on New Year's Eve. No, you know what it cost to play the Staples Center on New Year's Eve? Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, so what drove that? What what drove that? Talk about that for a second. Yeah, I mean that's a good question. You know, um, they I don't think that they were 
obligated by, you know, they at this time they they own the, they had their own record label, right? They, there was no obligation to a record label. That's right. They they'd exhausted, you know, their side projects. Uh, Tommy was doing his own thing. Uh, as you said, uh, Nikki had his own other side projects. Right. Um, so yeah, did you know? At this point, it seems like they they were Motley Crue was exhausted. Yeah, they, they were done. exhausted. Itself. They were done. And uh, so maybe they needed some time away from each other. But but then again, you have to, you have to understand they had only had been back together as all four of them with Generation Swine in '97. But but for whatever reason, the world was just a different place and wasn't ready for Motley. In 1997, even with all four members, and they certainly weren't ready for three fourths of the band in 2000. No, and so uh, and so that's why it took. I think that the that the that book was pretty smart because it kind of reminded them. And you know how even without the book, people suddenly become nostalgic for things. So it took by 2005, and they started getting these offers. From these ma- massive, fa- you you know the story right. like with Caius and all the other bands, the like the, Euro- yeah. the European festivals that have the, that are the stronghold for heavy rock that have the the deep pockets always end up offering some band, you know, uh, you know, seven figures to, to right. do it. And so I think by 2005 that they realized none of this was working. But of course, they're not going to get that kind of offer unless all four members are in the band. Okay. So by 2005, Motley is essentially back. Okay. And, and what, what, what are we saying? Are we saying that money was the incentive here? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, no, no question. I right. mean, I, I think that that again, like I said, because you know they had, you know, they don't had no, had had exhausted Motley Crue. They probably had had exhausted. I mean, these guys are used to a, a certain lifestyle, and yeah. you know, and Tommy. God knows his 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 legal fees for all the trouble he was getting into and divorces and domestic you know abuse allegations and all that you yeah. know all that stuff and so I definitely think that probably the reason was probably financial but I think that there was but that would only would have happened once and I think that what kept them going for fifteen more years had have been less money maybe it became about money again later but I think that they had something to prove. Because they, uh, uh, you know, uh, didn't really get the satisfaction that should have came with Generation Swine, or rather, it, you know, they were hoping for it, but right. it was kind of undeserved because that record was a disaster. Okay, yeah. and then Tommy's already had jumped ship by the time we get the second one, so I think there was something that says, this "Yeah, is this the- is our legacy. We don't want. Yeah, this is not how we want to end it." Right, and and think about this. Even for all four members, nobody was offering them that kind of money in 1997. Okay, so by 2005, if people are offering them that kind of money, that would not be the last time they would ever receive an offer like that. Okay? I mean, at that point, they've been a band for 25 years. Think think about that. Okay? And so at the 25-year mark, they're getting that kind of offer. So they're like, you know… We're going to protect our legacy, be able to retire. You know, this is the time to do it. And thus was born the Carnival of Sins Tour. You know, and what the Carnival of Sins Tour was supposed to do, was supposed to be about, was also to kind of remind people about the freaking debauchery. Like, the, you know, the circus. You saw the Theater of Pain Tour. I saw Girls, Girls, Girls. And then uh, I didn't see them again until Gen- Generation Swine. And then I saw... 
you know, the, the new tattoo tour. Um, and those were cool, but those were just kind of seemed like, you know, hey, we're having a party where this was supposed to remind people about the circus. And, uh, you know, Tommy, even, before, you know, before what we what we saw last year, he had this roller coaster kind of it wasn't like what we saw, of course, you know, the Crucifly, whatever he was doing that we saw on the last tour. But it was uh, it was it was at that time the craziest thing he had done. It, up to that point. And of course, the crazy thing that anyone had ever done would, would took terms of drums at that point. And so anyway, uh, so, you know, it, I mean, they had, you know, the backup singers were back and, and, you know, the girls in cages and it was, you know, it was almost kind of like the girls, girls, girls tour, but just turned up to 10, all four members back in the band. I mean, Mot- Motley Crue was back. And some would suggest that, you know, was this the, the, the real reunion? Because, they had come out with a greatest hits record called Red, White, and Crew, uh, and like like a lot of times people do that to satisfy some sort of you know contractual obligation, and they have to have some some new music. And I'm going to play you some here in a second, but I wanted to tell you that, that I saw the Carnival of Sins tour, and I just wanted to uh, to to talk about this for a second. So okay, think this about this: was the Houston show. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I think it might have come to Dallas, but for some reason I don't know why I didn't. I, you know, I was I was out of town or on, I was on we're doing whatever I don't know. Uh, but me actually, Mike DeQuincio, we talked about oh. earlier, um, and some very interesting friends of his <laughs> um, went down there uh, to see Motley uh, for the Cardinal. You know, we were excited, and and I and I tell you that because why weren't people as excited in 1997? Was it because the new product was so bad? Well, okay. I want after I play you this song. You see what I'm getting at here? I'm going to play yes. you a song and tell me if this, if you think this song is better than anything off of Generation Swan, okay. or was the world just different, or was the nostalgic thing starting to kick in? That kind of tends to happen whenever a a new decade begins, let alone, let alone a new millennium. Suddenly it's 2005, and people are like, "Oh my God!" and they're freaking out about stuff that happened because <laughs> it's because. 95 to 2005 seems a lot longer than 85 and 95, doesn't it? It does. Uh, anyway, so why why were people like even like us? And I'm not saying I would I would have been dismissive, but why were people willing to get in a van and drive five hours to see Motley? I mean, it, it, there was there was something about it, you know, all four of them being back again. Yeah. But again, you know, 1990, you know, Generation Swine had only was only like you know seven years ago. You know, so me and the Quinzio and some, some interesting friends of his, we make our way down to um, uh, Houston. I think it was what, what what the old summit used to be called. And we get down there. And the thing I remember most was, again, I don't think they had an opening act. And again, it was the, this full, crazy circus. It was an inner arena. It was sold out. I mean, it was like. You know, when I saw the Generation Swine thing, it was actually at a at a, at a smaller theater. And uh, when I saw the the kind of the outdoor amphitheater shows from New Tattoo, uh, most of the lawn area was was empty. This was kind of it kind of seemed a little more legitimate. And they were doing a bunch of older stuff. They were doing like Red Hot and all that, and had this crazy circus on stage. But what I took away from it, uh, and this is what I'm gonna gonna parlay it into, was there was this guy sitting next to me. And he was so intoxicated and so drunk. It's kind of like what, what, what we would call now a bro and that bro right. sense. Like he had his shirt off. 
uh, looked like he, like he probably played sports. Um, surely had been arrest, arrested at least once, <laughs> maybe even that week, you know. And but here's the funny thing. You know how like people that at that age or that of that ilk seem to want to wear as much beer as they consume. There's something about showering each other. Right. He was so out of it that every song he would high five me, and sometimes he got to the point where he was high fiving me like two to three times a song, and sometimes it was like almost a constant high five. <laughs> now he was wearing jeans. Right. Now jeans can absorb. Quite a bit. Agreed? Agreed. He had spilt so much beer on me, <laughs> on him, <laughs> to the two people in front of us, that his jeans, I'm not kidding him, I'm joking, he, when he was, I finally got him to sit down, his jeans were so soaked and had already had absorbed so much that there were puddles of beer forming in his lap, oh. like you know, it, it's jeans. So you would think that the beer would immediately soak through. It had soaked all it could <laughs> soak. <laughs> there were actual puddles of beer in this guy's lap, oh. you know. And you know, and as, as, as amusing as that is, I tell that because you know the common theme that we've been talking about has been uh, being a member of that gang, being a right. member of that gang. Okay. So back to the MTV, back to the aesthetic, back to that kid in 2005 at the Carnival of Sins tour. Seeing the US Festival, okay? When you see these guys, it's rare in life when something looks the way it sounds. Okay? And I'm not going to make sure. any kind of comparisons to, to, what, to what, what today's stuff looks like. I'm saying, but <laughs> um, Motley Crue, with or without MTV, looked like they sounded. And because of that, you and I wanted to be a member of that gang. Okay. But one thing that we haven't mentioned, I thought about this after hearing episodes one and two was I, I know what it meant to be. I know what the inspiration was, but I thought about like, what did it feel like to be a member of that gang? And that's where I want you, because I got something I want to say about it, but like, you know, the inspiration, you know, that we were members of the gang, but what was it like for you? What did it feel like? Like, like, did you feel like you had more swagger? Did you feel, did you feel like a part of something? Talk to me about what it was like to be a member of that gang as being a, a, a Molly. Oh Cruz yeah. Fan. I mean, there's, there's totally that feeling of, of, you know, being a part of a gang and, you know, really just having a love for, for rock and roll for, for metal. Um, you know, again, you you wanted to be uh, you wanted to be Nikki Six, right? So therefore, you wanted to pick up a bass, or you wanted to be Tommy Lee, and you wanted to learn how to play drums. Um, so, yeah, you know, being a Motley Crue fan, being a, a metal fan in general, um, but yeah, you know, wearing the Motley Crue shirt, you know, the, the like we talked about, you know, the the leather glove that said that Crew across with the, the the Velcro strap. I mean, there, I mean, it doesn't get any more cooler than that. It doesn't. You know? You had to have it. That's right. And no matter how ridiculous your 10-year-old self looked having it, yeah. uh, it, that would never occur to you. That's right. You, you know? know? It's, it, it was about how many, like, leather, you know, studded leather wristbands could you fit on your That's wrist. Right. You know? That's right. Um, and, 
Yeah, you know, again, uh, just feel like you're a part of uh, of that gang. Um, and, you know, Motley Crue, you know, they they were the essence of, of coolness, um, of, of sex appeal. Um, you know, the girls, the girls love Motley Crue. Right, so, you right. know, hey, maybe they'll love me, <laughs> you know, if I'm into them. And, and, it, and again, it, it, it was about, I think at the core for you and I both, and again, because we're, we're, you know, we're huge fans of music, and we, right, right. we live and breathe music. I mean, it, it, it was about the music, yeah. You know? But at the same time, you know, the plus on, on the plus side of that was they did have that look, they did have the sex appeal that right. you wanted to have because you wanted to, you wanted to, you know, have a girlfriend, you know. So. Well, yeah, but also it's like it inspires that you were kind of doing something right for yourself, but wrong for everyone. Everybody else, and there was something so satisfying. Yeah, about the that. rebellion of, of it, absolutely. And and, and, and it, I think every generation, even the generation before us, you know, had and, that and needs that. You right. know, and again, you know, I mean, we could have another episode where we talk about, you know, do people today have that? But I, I remember for myself was this: in spite of you know, you and I having long hair and being in metal and being in metal bands together and walking the streets uh, uh, together and. Uh, being yelled at by moving cars for uh, adults and moving cars for having long hair and all that. We both were, were good kids. I mean, I mean, you right. know, good, good kids, uh, smart kids. We did well in school. We, uh, you know, uh, you know, I was, I played soccer. I, you know, I was, I played football. I was a nerd. I was on the honor roll for, for, for most of my scholastic, scholastic career. But I can remember going to soccer practice. And I was like, you know, you've seen these pictures. You, you, you know, we've known each other our whole lives. You've seen, you've seen. There isn't a picture that has ever been taken of me, you know, that you probably haven't seen. Um, and I look like, you know, I mean, we were poor, but I look like the old American kid. You know, I've got the ball in my hand, and I, and for the most part, I was. I was a good kid. I, you know, I, I collected comic books, baseball cards, sports were was always a priority for me. But I can remember playing soccer and going to soccer practice. And you remember back then that you had to have the, the boom box. And, and back then, instead of things being uh, smaller, being a priority, it was bigger. It was the ex- excess of the 80s. And I had, you know, and begged, uh, and my mom was so great that she actually had gotten me uh, this giant boom box. I mean, it was exactly the one that I wanted, and, you know. And I can remember I had to take that boom box to soccer practice. Why? What, what, what was what was the boombox going to do for me at soccer practice? What what place did it have? But I needed people to know. Not only was I a music fan, but specifically that I was a Motley Crue fan. And that that's what I mean in terms of the experience of being part of the gang. And I can remember like waiting for her to pick me up, and I would put in my copy and shout at the devil, and I would black. You could hear it from blocks. And I didn't have a reputation as being a troublemaker. In fact, people were kind of like, "Is that, is that, is that that Turner kid that's doing?" You know, because I, I was a nice kid, and I can remember uh, after school, like girls walking by, and I would be at my friend's house out front of their house, and I would crank it up when girls would walk by, you know, right. like, and I can remember going to like we had one store. Uh, there's few things. There's few things in life where I can say, "Oh, this is before you and I met," because like there's really 
only a few years of our lives when we didn't know each other. Uh, and it was called Armadillo Hands. I don't know why it was called that, uh, but I'll never forget that. But it was called Armadillo Hands. Wow. And it was the only store, it's kind of really the only stores of its kind I've seen since then. And it was like this old guy that kind of looked kind of like Wolfman Jack did. And he wore a lot of leopard and he and uh, he drove a Corvette and he had this, I don't know, I think he won, won the lottery, I don't know. but um, And he had this store where he actually, I mean, like, you're not going to find what Motley is wearing in the Looks to Kill video in a mall in, in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1983. No. It's not going to happen. And he had it. And I also was really into Billy Idol at the time. I like I like the aesthetic of that. And I remember that I had that, this, and it seemed like it cost more than our house, uh, our apartment, a car, whatever. It was this wraparound studded thing. And I, I, I right now, just talking about it, I can smell the leather. Yes. Okay. And it had this such, and you wouldn't give a 10 year old this. He would uh, like hurt himself with this. Right. It was a different time. And then you had another bracelet that held it all together. And then you had to complete it with the, you know, the fingerless glove that said yes. crew on it. Yep. That's right. So that, that takes it way further than just music. That's true. You, you, you have a good point there. Um, you're not going to uh, go out and get, you know, spiked leather by, you know, listening to Dolly Parton. Well, that's and, right. yeah, and I, yeah. I love Dolly, but, I, but right. I'm not going to, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like it yes. was more than the music. Our, our, there was a reason why I wanted you to know I was a Motley fan. There was a reason why you wanted me to know that you were a Motley fan, that we were, we were part of the same gang. That, that, that's a good point. That transcends the music, and that's what yeah. I'm trying to say is is okay. it, that doesn't happen. That, that there's a, there's it's, it, it's a very very few rare special thing, and that's why this band means so much to us, you know. Right. And I want to give you a chance to to hear when they when I came out with Red White and Crew, what Motley Crew sounded like in 2005, and this is a a, a, a track called "I'm a Liar," and that's, that's the, the truth. truth. <laughs>
Wow. So you just listened to Motley Crue in 2005. Right. Uh, I'm a liar, and that's the truth. Yeah, or the tooth. <laughs> right. And that was off of Red, White, and Crew. The Greatest Hits record. That's right. Right. So let's talk about this. Um, so we just listened to that, um, and I'm trying to I'm trying to compare that. I'm trying to compare that to Generation Swine. Okay. Uh, and you, how many years have Generation Swine was what? Ninety seven. Ninety seven. Right. So you know about about seven years, seven so, eight years. Yeah. So seven long years go by. Um, you know what makes what makes this any different? What makes this stand out? Uh, what are the differences? Uh, you know, I, I I don't know. I'm I'm kind of I'm, I'm struggling here. Um, well, let me help you out here. Okay. So if when Generation One came out and everybody was so excited that all four members were back in the band, and but yet it was still met. I mean, we talked endlessly about the American Music Awards and how just unbelievably good right. Vince looked and he was hungry, but the album was so bad. Okay. Were did that just give people a reason to validate not wanting to be in the Motley Crue? Because it sounds like it doesn't matter what they came out with in 1997 because people were more into Nine Inch Nails and the right. world was different. Okay. Well, does this song sound any better than off of anything off of Generation Swine? In fact, it sounds like a song no. from Generation Swine right. that didn't make the album. And when they come out with these... Um, you know, these greatest hits records, they always kind of have to give you some extra music. I, I, I Maybe that was re-recorded for this project, but at the, but people were, com- and I'm not saying people were going to the this tour and selling out because of the song, I'm a Liar and That's the Truth. No. In fact, I'm saying just the opposite of it, that at that point, it didn't matter. All four members were back in the band. And that's 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 what that's the juxtaposition there because if all four members were back in the band in '97 and no one gave a shit, but all four members were back in the band in 2005, even though the product was still uh, very mediocre, mm-hmm. why were people suddenly so interested in Motley Crue? Why yeah. is that? Help help me out with that. Yeah, I mean, again, I think you said it was just a combination of the dirt, um, and you know, again, the nostalgia. You know, we, we, you know, we're, we're members of this gang and, you know, again, we, we still have faith in, in, you know, the early years, what, you know, why we, you know, to remind us why we love them so much. I, you know, I like, you know, I'm a liar and that's the truth. I, I you know, again, in 2005, I don't care about that new music. I, I, it, it didn't appeal to me. Uh, what I wanted was, and again, I know that they're good together. I know yeah. we have these four playing live. Um, and if I hear, you know, some of their, you know, earlier material, um, it, it, it's going to take me to my happy place. Well, yeah, I mean, people want what they remember, but but you see what I'm, what I'm, what I'm, my point is, is that it didn't matter what they came out with in 1997. No. Nobody was going to care. It didn't matter what they came out with in 2005. Everybody cared. You see my point? Yes. And I'm just trying to figure out why. Did, did enough time go by? Did enough? Because uh, I, I don't think it was anything that, that they themselves can really take credit for, other than just the fact is, is that, of, that they can take credit for the foundation that they had laid down in the past. Okay. Yeah. Make a point. And again, I think, you know, again, 
a lot of time had passed, yeah. you know, uh, since 97 for Generations 1 to 2005. Well, hang on That's now. enough time to... For- well, I mean, again, there was another album between there. there I mean, they did, have, right. they did have... I mean, this wasn't their first album since 97. They, right. they did uh, a Greatest Hits record. They did New Tattoo, New Tattoo, several tours. So Motley really had only had been gone for, for about four years. Four. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's really no excuse. Um, but it's that, but it's that new millennium thing, and people suddenly like, it's a new millennium. I was born last century. I'm old. Give me, give me my childhood. <laughs> I really believe that, and that's what you're gonna get. But regardless, whatever it was, think about that. That they could have have rested on their laurels, right? Okay, and they could they could have done that, and uh, you know, and you know, maybe do a couple more tours or another greatest hits thing and toured, you know, somewhere every summer, but they weren't willing to do that. And even though it took them three more years, Motley Crue decided to make another album, which was ended up being, of course, their final album. And we're going to give some love to our sponsors and we're going to come right back and talk about that album. Uh, But before we get to that, uh, first thing I wanted to talk about was uh, I want to thank all the fans, all the wrestling fans uh, that came out to Crowley, Texas uh, this uh, this past Sunday uh, on July 31st. Thank you guys so much for uh, receiving me so well. It was my first uh, full pay-per-view uh, with IHWE Wrestling, and it was their biggest event of the year called Old School Hustle. And when I came out, I got this huge pop, and uh, and everybody was so kind to me, and we had such a great time. Uh, Lainey Luck made her uh, her debut. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out also to the band The Sword. Uh, me, when me and Chris get together here, we, we do this thing where we'll also sample a, a, a brand new beer. And The Sword came out with this uh, this amazing. Chris, help me out here. Uh, yeah, it's a oatmeal stout. Uh, Ghost Eye. Ghost Eye from from uh, what company put it out? The Real Ale Brewing Company. So thank you to the sword. Thank you for Real Ale Brewing. And I'll tell you this, if you re- if you guys watched the Periscope uh, right before you went to Denver, Chris just got back from Denver, by the way, um, that I showed you guys how to make your own beer. And then uh, this week we're going to show you how to bottle. But that, that, that original batch I took to old school hustle with uh, – with I, had, I made my, you know labels and everything else. So we had this – and I gave out a uh, copy with each uh, to the champion uh, with their own individual label that had that match on the back of the label. And I gave one to Lainey Luck, who was making her IHWE debut, along with Chrissy James, who won the match. It, it was next level business, those girls. Uh, my man, Charlie Haas. So anyway, so thank you. And also because, you know, Chris and I met in the city of Crowley. That day that we bonded over Motley Crue in the first week of eighth grade, it happened in Crowley, Texas, just a few hundred yards away from where I was calling those matches. So it was a very emotional thing for me and a very, uh, very, very full circle thing for me. So I wanted to thank the fans. And if you missed it, I wanted to tell you about something that uh, coming up is that, you know, we only do um, three or four special events a year, but uh, but we're actually going to do another one in two weeks on August the 14th at the Ridgely Theater in Fort Worth. Uh, I'm sure that uh, you know you, you heard about you know there's a lot of lot of trouble going on in the world and uh, there's a lot of lot of lot of very unnecessary violence towards minorities and uh, and a lot of 
violence towards police officers and, uh, and that those clashes have been going back and forth. We want to give people a chance to heal and kind of get a new perspective, help people get, have a new perspective that, um, that all of this, uh, all this violence uh, is so completely unnecessary. And we have an event coming up called United We Stand. Uh, it's going to benefit the police officers um, that were uh, that had lost their lives uh, in Dallas last month. Uh, but it's going to benefit everybody. Everyone is welcome. OK, uh, I am is just as much of a supporter of the Black Lives uh, Matter movement as I am uh, for uh, our law enforcement. And I want everybody to come together. United we stand. That's why it's called that. I'm going to be there. I'll be there calling the matches. Come on out. It's going to be a great benefit. August 14th uh, at Ridgely Theater. Chris, are you going to come out and see me this time? Absolutely. That sounds like, you know, again, it will be a great, great cause. And absolutely, it will be fun. And, uh, you know, I mean, you haven't been to Ridgely in a while. I think last time we were there, we saw Fugazi there, That's right? That's right. It's been a long time. Uh, okay. And then uh, last but not least, uh, I, I want to give a shout out uh, to our proud sponsor. One of our proud sponsors, of course, is, uh, is Cricket Wireless. And, uh, you know, you know how much cell phones cost these days. It's, it's crazy. I mean, the bill, I mean, I know my bills have been through the roof and everything else. And, and also, if you're a wrestling fan, you know, they were a, a, the, the prime sponsor for WrestleMania this year. Well, they've got a great promotion going on right now for the WWE's second biggest event of the year, which is called SummerSlam. It takes place August 21st in Brooklyn, New York at the Barclays Center, my old neighborhood there, uh, right across from Lenox Avenue, right where I used to live, man. Uh, and you actually, if you might have seen the commercials right now, but they have this whole thing with uh, where, uh, with John Cena called Surprise John Cena. Go on to YouTube and just type in the words Surprise John Cena. You'll see what I'm talking about. And uh, you can win a, uh, this great sweepstakes they have going on where you can actually can go uh, and be a guest of the WWE and Cricket Wireless like we were back in WrestleMania for, uh, for this year's SummerSlam. Okay, uh, so uh, so moving onwards here, okay, is that, so now, okay, now, this is the part I'm very excited to be talking about, because like we said, should they have called it quits in 2001? Maybe. Maybe. The band was all but done. Uh, but, and in 2005, you know, the success of the book, uh, a great, car, you know, they run people to the circus, all members are back in the band, so what do you do with that? Do you rest on your laurels? Do you play the county fair until they, they stop you know, returning your phone calls? Or what do you do? Well, in this case, Motley did the unthinkable. And this is something that you and I really haven't had a, a lot of a chance to talk about because you know, obviously when we get together and we get these special days to talk about Motley, you know, I know that it's specifically what I know I want to talk about, which right. is Too Fast for Love. But in 2008... Motley Crue truly returns, in my opinion, all four members with an album that is perfectly titled called The Saints of Los Angeles. And I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, again, after listening to, you know, I'm a liar and that's the truth. Um, and then you see, you know, they have a couple years to get together and say, look, you know, and maybe the Carnival Sins tour reminded them, hey, you know, let, let's go back to where yeah. it all began, you know, and Saints of Los Angeles, it captures that completely. It's, it's night and day uh, when you listen to, you know, some of their stuff from the 2000s. This is what we wanted to hear. Yes. So, you know, I, I, we're, we're very fortunate they did not retire 
Because they did give us Saints of Los Angeles. Th- that is the perfect point. I'm so glad that you said that. Because I will I will even do one better. I really, you know, when people think, of course, of Motley Crue, uh, you know, they think of, of course, the first five records. You know what I mean? Of course, you know, Too Fast, Shout, Theater of Pain, Girls, 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 Dr. Feelgood, right. and everything else after that is academic. Dude, I Saints of Los Angeles sits right next to my other Motley records. It's unbelievable that they were able to do this. If they hadn't, and even though, again, even after they got back together, it still took them three more years. So, And then in 11 long years after, um, after Generation Swan. So it really, but if you look, I, one thing I love, I love the promotional photographs from the Saints of Los Angeles era because they look like, and I'll say it again, you know what they look like? They look like a gang again. Right. Okay. They I, captured that swagger, that, that essence. Well, I, I posted something on uh, on Facebook whenever we were promoting these these episodes, uh, part two, which captured the you know the nineties. And there's a picture of them at the Roskilde uh, festival in uh, in Europe. And it captured everything like you know, Vince has got orange hair because mm-hmm. trying to trying to fit in with the nineties, and all four of them are sitting there at a press conference taking a photograph, and it was like you had walked in on your parents fighting. Right. They looked so uninterested. They weren't the gang, even no matter how badass he looked, Vince looked mm-hmm. and ready at the American Music Awards. They, it was like you had walked in on your parents fighting. It was yeah. like they were trying to kind of keep it together. <laughs> Compare that picture. Go, go to my website at, uh, at uh, tricky-kid.com or uh, find us on, on uh, Facebook at Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. Let's see what I'm talking about. This is it's the most perfect picture that frames what I'm talking about. Compare to that, and you'll see it because I'm going to put it on my website as well uh, for this episode. The promotional material for Saints of Los Angeles is so great. It's so wonderful that they're a gang again. I want to be a yes. I want to be in this gang again. Okay. Now, to your point, you said that maybe it was a carnival of sins that had reminded them of like let's go back and everything else. Mm-hmm. Well, here's something. What the album was supposed to originally be was the soundtrack to the book. Oh. Okay. The the original title to Saints of Los Angeles was called The Dirt. So they were only going to do just a couple of songs because, like we talked about before, that there is still one last project coming out from Motley Crue. It, It is a movie based upon the book. I mean, there's going to be a time, hopefully next summer where you and I will be going to the theater together and seeing yeah. Motley Crue's the dirt and seeing four actors playing our heroes. Okay. Oh, I can't wait. So I, I can't, I've been waiting a long time, but by that point it'll be like 16 years. So anyway, so the dirt was the title of saints of Los Angeles. You understand? And I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Okay. While they were recording it, but it is, so unbelievable, sonically, visually, and the in the the title, the Saints of Los Angeles, and you've heard you've heard the song. I'm going to play it here in a second. There's a lot of songs I could play, and I didn't want to be Mr. Captain Obvious, but you, yeah, I'm not. You're not going to put out an album called Saints of Los Angeles, and I'm going to play the B side. I'm going to play the song right. Saints of Los Angeles. Speaking of titles, check this out. I uh, have have you ever seen the album cover? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, and again, that, that 
Saints of Los Angeles, the title, like you said, um, if I was to describe the band and their history and, and what they mean uh, to, 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 to L.A., uh, Saints of Los Angeles, it's just – It's a great it, freaking it, it title. Is. It is. It's bold. It, it, it's telling. Um, it, it, it just captures the energy. Yeah. Name off like name off the like name off these titles. Like, look at that. I mean, I know you know them by heart, but still, like, I mean, name like there is LAMF, which you know, like Los Angeles mother. You know what I'm saying, right? But look at these look at these titles. It looks like Too Fast for Love. It does. Face down in the dirt. Uh, yeah, down at the whiskey. Yeah, <laughs> just it, another psycho. MF of the year. Chicks equal trouble. Welcome to the Machine, White Trash Circus, and the very last song uh, from the final Motley Crue record, Going, Going Out, Out Swinging. Swingin'. Now, was that a precursor that they, they kind of knew that this was going to be their last album? I don't know, because they still were together for, if you think about it, for another almost seven years in, in a touring capacity, okay? Uh, but here's something that I wanted that, that maybe maybe you don't know, uh, Chris. But I um, uh, okay. So I wish I could tell you that the that the album was recorded the way that Too Fast was, or even how how Shout was, where the four of them got together and the spark was there and everything else. But the album was largely written with Nikki with a team of other people. Okay. Right. He had some of his six AM Well he had he had DJ Ashba who was in his band six AM okay. who was basically on every single track. Okay. Mick is on about half of them. Of course, Vince and Tommy aren't songwriters and never really or lyric writers and never really have been. Okay. But here's a fun fact that you may or may not know. Okay. The album, the person that is equally, and I don't mean like kinda, I mean equal to Nikki on this record is a guy named Marty Fredrickson. Okay. Now Marty Fredrickson in the new millennium is what Desmond child was in the eighties. Do you know what I mean? When I see that? No. If you, if you look at all your favorite records, especially kiss and some other stuff, whenever a band was not really, it wasn't really happening in the studio. Cause keep in mind these, these, you know, these record labels are spending all this money, right. putting them in the studio. There's an engineer there that they had to protect their investment. And if the songs aren't coming, they'll send somebody in and it's, and it's part of their contract. So if you look at, at songwriting credits for the 1980s, and a lot of times they, they would do it so that the label could own a piece of that person's publishing. Does that make sense? Uh, uh, I don't know if that's the case here. I just knew that, I guess Nikki knew that if he was gonna he was gonna write with Mick, but he needed some outside sources, and he'd been writing you know six a.m. Mm-hmm. stuff with DJ Ashba. But Marty Fredrickson is that guy. If you, like what Desmond Child was in the eighties and the early nineties, where okay. you look at all those like, well, I'm looking at the songwriting credits, and who's this guy that's not in the band? Do you see what I'm saying? Right. Like, yeah, you ever seen that before? Yes. Okay. And Marty has written stuff for Ozzy. 
God, everybody, okay? But here's a fun fact. You've seen the movie Almost Famous, right? Right. Okay, well, you know how the fictitious band that uh, was in Cameron Crowe came up with? There's actually a, a uh, kind of an extension of that movie now called, Cameron Crowe did called Roadies. If you haven't seen it, I'm actually, it's sentimental as hell, as all hell, but I really enjoy it. So I really, I really like it a lot. Uh, there's this new um, Imogene Poots, whatever. She's the lead person. Fantastic. Anyway, uh, but Marty Fredrickson in the movie Almost Famous, you know how the actor uh, uh, Jason Lee? Yes. Who he's like singing? Uh-huh. Okay, the person that's actually singing is Marty Fredrickson. Oh, really? Yeah. So the guy that basically is literally a, the 50% co-writer of The Saints of Los Angeles is the guy that is the voice of uh, that band Stillwater from Almost Famous. Wow. Okay. So yeah, yeah. It's, it sounds like that you know they needed some outside consulting or uh, you know uh, motivation there uh, with the writing process. Right. But 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 it's still crazy how like again we are we are we are the saints. We gave our life away. Mm-hmm. No matter what you think or no matter what you say, like. This, this this is not a motley that's trying to fit in with Nine Inch Nails and Alternative Nation, nineteen ninety seven. Right. This is they have an album. They have a song on this album called MF of the Year. Okay. <laughs> I almost thought about playing that one. Whenever and, and, you, and you saw they weren't throwaways on the yeah. final tour. They played two songs yeah. in this album. They remember when we saw the first night they opened with Saints of Los Angeles, and that's what I want to play for you right now.
Saints of Los Angeles. I mean, that, that song brings them back, man. Yeah. Form. Uh, the hook, the, the, the riff is just, it's so kick-ass. So tell me, so like when, you know, Vince didn't look as good, of course, than he did in 1997 when we talked about in part two about the American Music Awards and getting ready to release Generation Swan. But why is this so much better? Well, I mean, listen to the quality. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, for sure. But I'm <laughs> saying, but like, what, what was the inspiration? Why is this so much better? Right. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, again, after the, the mediocrity uh, for the past, you know, the last couple albums, um, I mean, this is just, it, it, it's, it's a shock to the system. You know, when I first heard this, I was like, wow. Yeah. I mean, this, it was too. This is Motley Crue. This is the Motley Crue that I, I know that, that right. I grew up on, you know, um, the, it, you know, it captures that, um, that magic, you know, that we had with the first, you know, four or five albums. Right. Right. And as I was saying before, is it, is it, you know, it's not like, oh yeah, I've heard a couple of songs from new tattoo or, right. or, oh man, that generation swine, you know? Or that self-titled one, you know? Right. But it's like, I know this album. I know this album yes. like I know the others. It sits right next to them. And it's not because I simply just because I missed them uh, or, you know, I was feeling nostalgic. It's a kick-ass rock and roll record. And I'm so happy that if this is, and obviously it clearly is, the final Motley Crue album, Okay, and then the last song is called "Going Out Swinging," which I thought about playing that, but I, I but time restrictions is only allowing me to play uh, one more song, which I'm going to get to uh, here, in a, or actually maybe two more. But anyway, um, but that's that's the whole point. And again, I, again, I, I go back to the aesthetics of what the promotional photographs look like. Uh, please go to the website, uh, my website, and check it out because if you haven't, if you if you've slept on this album. Oh, and you're, you're missing Motley Crue, and you're thinking, oh, man, you know, I, I should have gone to the last tour, or, or you didn't even know of, of, the, of the existence of Saints of Los Angeles. Pick it up, right? I, absolutely. Um, okay, so I wanted to tell, tell a couple more things before we, we, we wrap up here and, and get on with the final tour here. Was it, okay, now it's unfortunate, but I, I did not get to see the Saints of Los Angeles tour, okay? Uh from 2008 until you and I saw them uh, in 2014 on the, the final tour, whenever they announced it, uh, when we saw them in 2014, that was the first time I'd seen them in 10 years, I, since the Carnival of Sins tour. Okay, But there's one final little fun little story uh, of an interaction, of course, you know, we talked about in part two about running into, you know, how Vince was on our flight to Vegas right. that just framed our our uh, you know, our incomparable friendship and, and our, you know, we were there celebrating. Uh, and what's cool about this is you actually, you know, don't have to take my word for it. You can see this on YouTube, actually. Um, okay, just to set this up for a second. Um, we mentioned earlier how the stronghold of heavy music with deep pockets is obviously in Europe, but, you know, at Vakken Open Air and the Bizarro Festival and all those, uh, you know, the download, which used to be, you know, of course, Castle Donington and all that. Right. Well, uh, north of us here in Texas, up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, actually right outside of Tulsa, is uh, prior Oklahoma. They've been doing this festival every year called Rocklahoma, and uh, which you know 
<laughs> very original there. But I uh, and I and I've I've been there several times. Uh, they used to have this this thing in the middle of July, if you can believe it, which they realized that you know uh, they had to move it to May because it's just it's just it's just so absurdly hot. And uh, so we had you know went up there almost as a joke and ended up going up there a couple of times because that first year was so fun. Well. We realized that, and basically, what what the the idea, at least in its original incarnation, was to book all these old kind of what they call right. air metal bands. Yeah. I, I mean, where these bands individually they couldn't tour successfully individually, but collectively like, they could do okay. Yeah. So you would get a lineup that was like a nineteen eighty seven, like that, that that second or third wave of metal or of hair metal dream. You would get, and then like a, with like a big headliner. So you would get a lineup that looked like. Firehouse and Kicks and Warrant with a Scorpions and a Motley and a and a Rat and uh, that kind of thing. Well, Oklahoma's I guess the the promoters whatever they split in two. It's a big long story, but so just a few months later in 2010, the the promoters that split from them decided to do their own festival in Oklahoma City, even closer, called Rock in America. Now. The unspeakable debauchery that I witnessed with uh, a weekend of, of 30 aging hair metal bands looking to reclaim their wild oats uh, <laughs> is something of that almost rivals the dirt. I won't speak of it here. You'll have to go to my website, tricky-kid.com. Just type in Rock in America. It will come up. Uh, but here's one thing you actually you can see for yourself was that Okay, so I was there uh, and, and, and in a working capacity, and uh, and Lita Ford was playing. And I'm a massive Runaways fan. I'd never seen Lita live. And I'm watching with this, this girl I'd, I'd, I'd met there at the festival, and we're watching Lita Ford from the wings, you know, okay. of the stage. You know, it's like we're, we're, we're standing side stage. And, and I'm kind of tripping out because even though the Scorpions are there, and Herman Rarebell is no longer in the Scorpions. Herman Rarebell is there, I guess, with some other band. Oh. And I'm kind of going, wow, that's that's the original. There's, there's Herman Rarebell from the Scorpions. But that was quickly ended when the girl I had met said, oh, my God, and was like, say, check this out. And not booked, not performing. I Maybe he was nearby and his friends were in town because, uh, you know, his solo band is basically basically Slaughter. And I think Slaughter was playing. Okay. I look to my right and there is Vince Neil. Wow. And like something cr- ridiculous. He had, of course, a blonde under each arm. <laughs> that you knew that those blondes did not come with him. No. He just showed up and suddenly, here are your blondes under each arm. Okay. <laughs> well, there was this weird thing involving birthday cake. Uh, the girl, this girl, that's the guy I met there, and she was like, she'd gotten a piece of, of, of like cake from like catering or something. And then she was like, I need to get a picture with Vince. So I'm on one hand taking a picture of her with Vince Neal while I'm holding a paper plate that has a giant slice <laughs> of birthday cake. If you go onto YouTube and type in Lita Ford, Rock in America, Oklahoma City, or just Rock in America, you actually can see this. Okay? You actually can, check it out. can awesome. see this exchange taking place. Um, 
But one reason why I did I didn't see uh, the Saints of Los Angeles sort because what they were doing which was again like I said at this point like how these bands that were touring individually not so successfully right. but collectively uh, for almost three summers between 2008 uh, I mean God maybe even longer they were doing these co-headlining stuff like they they went out with Poison they went out with Kiss. They went out with Def Leppard. And it's not that I don't like those bands. I just, I don't know why I never had uh, an opportunity to actually, you know, to see them. Uh, but, but Saints of Los Angeles was so good and was received so well that around, I think it was, it was in 2012, four long years after Saints of Los mm-hmm. Angeles, they were actually, were going to make another album. I don't know what it was called. I don't know if it was ever. But they did manage to go ahead and actually make another song. Uh, again, I don't know how many songs uh, or how far they get into the project, if the project ever had a name to it. But they did manage to get one song out of it, uh, and the song was called Sex. So it's interesting to think that whenever they did Saints of Los Angeles and the last song was called Going Out Swinging, were they already kind of mindful that this was the end as far back as that? that this is probably going to be the last album you ever make. And it was. But they did, uh, you know, something happened around 2012, like I said, where they were going to make some more music. And I kind of wanted to, and I wanted to play that song for you, uh, which um, potentially could have been the very last song ever recorded for Motley Crue. And how kind of fitting would it be if it was, you know, called Sex. So this is the, the uh, again, the song Sex that came out in 2012 from a, a, the Untitled Project. The last song on that album was called "Going Out Swinging," and, it, and that would have been. But you know, yeah, I think that's an ex- exclamation to to their legacy. Yes. Okay. And but if there, but the but there was going to be one final song from Motley Crue. Beyond that, uh, they came out with a song in 2012, which serves as the final recording of Motley Crue, and that song is called "Sex." Heh. <laughs> <laughs> And so, uh, so this is the final recording of Motley Crue, Sex.
So that was the final recording. The song is called Sex. Sex from Motley Crue. Right. Uh, you know, again, we just got off the roller coaster of the high of Saints of Los Angeles. Um, well, I mean, four years had passed. Well, four years had gone by. Um, and I think, you know, and again, as to your point, they, it, maybe perhaps they were planning on putting to, out another album. Clearly. Uh, you know, the album did well. Uh, they seemed like they were in fine form. The tours were going well. They, maybe they were getting along. And so they went into the studio to record some new music. All right. And so what we get is a song called Sex. Um, now, I, I get it. You know, again, one of the, the, the appeal to, to Motley Crue, and especially when we were younger and we were, you know, going through puberty and, you know, becoming independent, you know, being separate from our parents, being our own. Um, you know, again, it was about sexuality. Right, uh, right, Discovering right. sexuality, um, you know, testosterone, you know, fights and sex and... Um, no, I, take I get, my fist and break exactly, down walls. I, I get that. But Motley Crue... Could they, they could pull off writing a song called Sex when they were 25. Well, even, yeah. Right. Or, even 30, <laughs> or even 35. <laughs> or even 40. But I, it, it's just, I don't know. It, I don't think it comes across, and I, I don't think they could get away with writing a song called Sex and having much appeal at 55. 55 okay. You know. That's, that's um, smart. I like that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. It just, it, it's, it's not appealing. It, it, it's not appealing to me. Um, it you know, it is what it is. Um, you, you you can look at it, you can listen to it, and think, okay, you know, this is this is quality. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm just thinking that they just tried to say, hey, you know, what were we about? You know, in our glory days, right? Right. And what what are we good? What do we know? And you know, like you said, you know, Vince Neil coming in with the. Uh, a blonde on each arm. You yeah. Know, hey, wh- let's write a song. What are we going to write about? Hey, shit. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's write about sex. Um, yeah, I don't know. You, you know, again, it, it's not my favorite. Right. But, okay. But, you know, uh, again, you know, I I, I, I I, like that they had that effort and they still had that drive and determination to continue the writing process. But do you think that that's what happened, though? Do you think that, like, that they went in there and, and tried to, like, well, man, it seems that Los Angeles was so badass. Was it going to get that fire? Even though it's four years later, they're on a momentum. They've been doing these successful, you know, co headlining tours. Let's make some, you know, let's right. make some. You know, let's, let's do it. But let's go th- back in. But then when they realized, when they tried to do it, and that was the only thing they could come up with, that was the only song that made it, I was that letting them know, like you said, we can't write songs like yeah, this Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's some major case of writer's block when you're sitting around and you come up with a song about sex. Called? Sex. <laughs> you know, yeah. So I think that the, the you know, the writer's block's there, um, the... the the writing, you know, drive, I, I, I'm not sure it was there. Um, and, and you can tell. It, it reflects in the material. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you one more funny little story. The uh, is, um, you know, I took a, a girlfriend of mine, um, and she had never been, or maybe she'd been, I, I, I don't know, but, it's, but I mean, I, I know she hadn't done the whole uh, sunset strip thing. It's something that you and I have never actually done together. And that's right. something that, that I was hoping to do uh, while Motley was still around. I, we still got to take that limousine trip. Yeah, we need to do that uh, with the uh, with the with the, uh, the, 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 jacuzzi the jacuzzi in the back and the, yeah. and the chicks and all that. 
and I've, I've spent a lot of time out there and I've been to the whiskey and the Roxy and, you know, the rainbow and all that stuff and many, 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 many times. And, and I think of you, of course, every time that I'm there and it's like, that's one thing. And I was wanting us to, to have seen the final Motley Crue show. And then maybe have like, that was kind of my dream as we went to the final show at the, at the uh, stable center. And then we went and had a drink at the whiskey, you know? Uh, but I took a girlfriend at the time. Um, and, uh, uh, and she'd never done that. And she loved that sort of thing. So it was like the perfect thing I kept saying, like, you know, uh, this is what I would want for you. Like, like, like this is me taking you to the sunset strip, but it's not 1984. This was at the time, 2011. Uh, okay. Okay. And so I'm, you know, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to take you to the rainbow bar and grill. I'm going to take you to the whiskey. And we had gone to an event at club Nokia, which is across the street actually from, uh, from stable center. I'm going to call it something else now. And we were there for the, uh, for the, uh, the, the golden, the, the, Revolver Golden God Golden God Awards. God, I can't talk today. Anyway, and uh, so she was like, you know, and she loved Motley, and he's like, hey, you know, do you think we'll see any of the old hair metal guys? I was like, well, it's you know, it's kind of different down here now, but you know, there's still some kind of some some torchbearers. <laughs> and as and she's off righted, we're walking up, and I think I was looking at my phone or something, and we're walking up to the Rainbow Bar and Grill, and she gasped, and I look up and. There's Vince <laughs> arriving at the Rainbow Bar and Grill, getting out of like a Lamborghini, and he had a blonde under each arm wow. walking out. <laughs> so it was like, hello, sir. We meet again. Wow. Um, so, okay. So, again, uh, I think maybe the reason why they decided to call it quits, because they were like, okay, it's very clear we're not going to be able to make any more. OK. Right. And, and you, you know that in 2014 uh, and the ironic thing is, is that they did. They actually did make one more song, one more recording. And maybe it was kind of like the Beatles thing where, you know, like how like, the Beatles, when they went into make Abbey Road, they like they knew it was going to be like their last album. Uh, so and a lot of people consider Abbey Road to be the, you know, the best Beatles album. I know I do. Maybe with that freedom off of it and no stress that to announce the tour, um, you know, for the final tour, very last thing when they made that on, you know, it was January 24th, 19, I mean, sorry, 2014, when they had that kind of dramatic uh, press conference where there was like a tombstone for each member with the, you know, with the dates on it and all that uh, to announce the tour. They actually, they wrote a song that, or released a song rather, that was the same name as a tour, meaning all bad things must end. And that, not going out swinging from Santa Los Angeles, not even sex from the aborted project from 2012, which again would have been kind of funny, but the final song from Motley Crue, the final recording, is the same name as the final tour, All Bad Things Must End. And it's actually a kick-ass song. Uh, and so actually I'm going to want to go ahead and play that. Um, the video is interesting too. We get a chance to see it because it's uh, it shows in order uh, the entire uh, you know the entire lineage of Motley Crue except for the John Karabi years. But interesting enough, they do show the new tattoo stuff. Because you're thinking, okay, well they don't show the you know the John Karabi stuff because Vincent is not in the band. But Tommy wasn't on new tattoo, and they show it very briefly. 
and also for people like you and I, Chris, that are completely uncensored fanatics, that three-minute video boils down uh, like some of the best parts of Uncensored and gives people a chance to see that as well. I thought that was very, 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 very cool. So this is the final recording of Motley Crue, All Bad Things Must End. They got together and did something very, very unique because, you know, all these bands say we're going to do one final tour. And then it's like, yeah, great. Right. See you in five years or exactly. sometimes even sooner. And I think Kiss has been on a farewell tour longer than their original career. And uh, Scorpions uh, are kind of doing the yep. same thing. And, but they wanted to make sure, just like they've always done, they've always been pioneers and been originals. And they got together and did this very unique um, uh, press conference. 
to announce that this was the final tour called All Bad Things Must End. And what made it unique was that they had signed a binding contract called a cessation of, of touring, meaning that Motley Crue, and, 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 I, and I don't even think that they knew what that meant because throughout the, the time they announced it till the end, it seemed like that, you know, like they were saying, well, this just means that we're touring. We're, we're, we're no longer going to be touring after this tour. You know, we're still going to be a band. We might even still make some, some new music and we might, we may still whatever. Now, was that true or was that to get you to believe into something or was it true? And then it changed over the tour because as we all know, by the end of the tour, it was like, yeah, we, I, I probably won't even see those guys ever again. Um, now I consider and be a cynic and say that they were done and going to break up before this tour, like, like okay. they were done. And the handlers whose job is to make money and keep the money flowing you know, you've, we've all seen Metallica as some kind of monster. You know, you've got like guys like Phil Toll that are hired by, you know, management companies mm -hmm. to, to keep the money flowing. And they said, well, you guys can walk away right now with this amount of money in your pocket, or we can go every all around the world twice for the next two years, have people really, really buy into it and say that, you know, and, and prove it to them that this is right. our final tour because you guys clearly don't want to tour together because we're ready to quit right now. And uh, and then we can make $100 million. Do you want $100 million or don't you? And so I really, not to be, hate to be cynical, but I really think that that it was that combined with we, we're Motley Crue. We can't just goodbye. Right. We have to, let let's do this. Let's. So I don't think it was just the money. What do you think? Uh, no, no, it wasn't just the money. Um, I think it was a major. In <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and again, because you're right, you know, when you have a, you hold a press conference and, you know, you advise that you're signing a contract stating that you will no longer tour. This is it. Right. Uh, this is a binding contract. That, that was so intelligent and that was so brilliant. Totally. You know, because again, you know, I I immediately told myself I have to be a part of that's this. right. That we, that's like our gang that, are advising that this is your last chance. That's right. After this, we we're not doing this again. That's right. Um, so it it, it 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 was just it's just genius, you know. Again, and I don't know if again if it was the the genius of Nikki Six, uh, but it, or the managers, yeah, exactly. Who, but it this was genius. just genius it was brilliant because you had never seen it before when you saw the looks to kill video you'd never seen anything like it those people at us festival had never seen anything like it right and here we are in 2014 and we're still doing something that was that nobody had ever that's done right before. nobody yeah you know we're signing a binding contract advising the world our fans this is it and i remember uh right after that press conference i remember you calling me and i remember us talking like hey did you see the press right. conference and and so now this is what we're going to get into now. What we're going to close with was that um, the All Bad Things Must End Tour, uh, which lasted uh, almost two years, uh, basically from from beginning of 14 till the very end on New Year's Eve. And right where it all began, back in Los Angeles, very appropriately. And, and that's what I think. I think that's proof right there that it wasn't just money. They could say, you know, F you, F you, F you. But $100 million will, will keep anybody happy for, for a little while, right? Uh, but also, I think it was like, you know, we've been doing this for 35 years. Now, also keep in mind, the song you just heard, Sex, was 
four years after Saints of Los Angeles. Well, the last show was almost four years after that song Sex Sex, came out. So you have to really entertain the idea that these guys have been still touring every summer. Now, I didn't see any of those tours. And it's not because I no longer cared or I was no longer a member of the gang. I was doing a lot of touring of my own, actually. I had uh, moved to New York in 2006. I uh, had started a management company in 2007. And from 2007 to 2000, uh, basically 2012, I was on the road 200 plus days out of the year. And so I didn't see Motley Crue. Uh, I saw them in 2005 at the Carnival of Sins. And I didn't see them again for 10 years until 2015 when this tour came to Dallas. And that's when you were also like, and that's something else that at that point, you know, obviously you and I have been best friends for almost 30 years. This band has meant everything to us. Right. And we had somehow managed to have never seen them together. That's right. And in fact, that was the first time that you had seen them in 30 years, yes. right? Right. You saw the theater of pain tour in 1985. Right. And then you saw all bad things must end. In 2000, I guess at that time, I guess it was 2014. So it'd been, it'd been 29 years. And you and I at that point have been friends for 28 years. Right. Think about that. Yeah. Okay. So I hadn't seen them in 10. You hadn't seen them in 30. We had to do this together. Yes. One of the proudest moments ever was when I called you and said, we're in. I got us tickets. Good tickets. Yes. And we walked in to a venue that we had been to about a hundred times together before in some of our most notorious shows to see Motley one last time. What do you remember that night? Uh, and again, I just remember that it was special to me, uh, you know, again, because like you said, it was our first time together, together. to see this band. Yeah. And, you know, again, uh, the the energy when we walked in, uh, you could feel it. You could, you? you could feel that energy, and everybody knew. Yeah, you know? and, and you know, just the the crowd that we were around. You know, everybody was just really having fun, um, camaraderie. Um, you know, again, just the, the, you know, when they they came out on stage, and I think they opened with Saints. With Saints, right? Uh, you know, again, you know, you you had the chills. You know, and they get to, to look next. You know, see yes. you look right by you know right next to you and see you uh, next to me. Um, it was a special moment. It really was. I, it, I, I couldn't echo that even more. And I, will, I want people to know out there also that uh, uh, I don't know what kind of concert goer you are these days, but if, if we're not the concert goer that goes on YouTube and looks at the tour before it comes. We're not the concert goer that goes to setlist.com or whatever and looks right. at the setlist. We are the people that consume it. We're not there with our looking at the show through our camera phones. And this isn't an indictment of current concert culture, but I want to drive well, that. Well, it is, but be no. sure. <laughs> but this is an, an important point I wanted to drive home was that we saw it genuinely. This, this yes. much was we weren't looking at it through our phones. They think about how much has changed since then. Um, we, we did not know what the set list was going to be. We had no idea what the stage was going to look like. All we knew was that, we were going to visit and see the gang one, one last time. time. Yeah. And not knowing what we were going to hear. That's right. 
complete surprise, you know, and that, that was, that was what was so great about yeah. it. It's like, you know, we're, we're holding each other. Okay. What are they going to play next? You know, yeah. we could not wait to see what they're going to play next. I think the, the row behind us, like, we were like some old, like, like gay couple because <laughs> yeah. it was so funny. Cause like, of course, if you, if, if you were to know you and I that too fast for love is, is as personal to us as if the set of our own voices, right? You know, if I heard your voice in a hallway, it would be the same thing as hearing live wire or right. take me to the top. And so we just want to see the gang, but please play something off of, of uh, too fast. Right. And they, we already had played live wire. And then when we heard the opening riff to too fast for love, oh. I don't mind telling you, and I don't, and I'm sure you either. We were crying like little girls with skinny. We were like, we were literally holding each other. We were, and yeah. then remember the next song? Oh yeah, they did on with the show. That's right. Oh, yeah, that right there, that, that just did it for me. You know, I I, I could go to heaven. You know, yeah. I, I I could die a happy man knowing that we were together and they played that song. That's live. right. That's right. Because and that's the whole thing was that we were together. This was the last song on Too Fast for Love. This is the last song on Motley Crue Uncensored. This was the song that ended the first episode of this little thing that we're doing here. But the fact is, is that I wasn't on the phone calling you and telling you, dude, they played on with the show. I wish you were here. Is that here it is almost 30 years later. We're still best friends. We're still brothers. And the gang is all here. And, that, and it wouldn't have happened. Right. I, I wouldn't have been interested. I, I could not. I couldn't have told this story over three parts without you. I wouldn't have wanted to go to that show. And holy cow! Uh, at the very end of the concert, when they came to that B stage that was right oh, in the middle, yes, remember? that was a complete surprise. Uh, they came out, uh, and I think what Tommy has the flashlight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean. That was so amazing. It was so incredible, and it was so intimate. It, it was very. It, it was really personal. And, and again, it was another genius, uh, brilliant uh, move. I think the right word would be inspired. That's why I. And, yes. That's. I mean, I've heard all the stories, and I could go on on cynically. I mean, there were. I mean, the the merchandising of this tour was felt like a kiss tour. I mean, I think they mm-hmm. were selling motley toilet paper at the. It's. I mean, it was just a very merchandise type kind of thing. Uh, there were things where you could uh, pay 10 grand and Nikki would play your bass. You could bring your bass to the show and, and arrange it for 10 grand. And just to show you how he was like either not about the money or he had so much money. There'd be nights, there'd be nights of the tour where there'd be like four bases lined up against the wall. And he'd be like, I don't feel like playing Bob from, from freaking Monroe, Illinois area pro tonight, <laughs> you know, and, and there went 10 grand cause he didn't, wow. cause he didn't, cause he didn't play it. So you could tell that, but the inspired moment where the very, you know, encore is only one song where they all come out, like I said, via flashlights to this little B stage, they called the crow, the cruise nest, like the crow's nest. Uh, and to finish with home, sweet home as the stage very dramatically, is rising, rising in the, the, that way because it could be more intimate for people out in the in the, in the yes. cheap seats could also could say goodbye. So because in that moment the people in the cheap seats had a front row seat. They did. You see, and not forgetting that. Now, uh, uh, before we end here, there's a couple of things. Now, 
you could say, oh man, they said it was the final tour, but then they came back two more times. Well, it was it, it was the final tour. That was it. Right. But they did hit the major markets. Dallas being a a major market in in terms of you know anyway, but in terms of Motley Crue. Oh yeah, uh, you know the the freaking uh, the home sweet home, home, home video yeah. was filmed at Reunion right. Arena. You right. were there. Listen, Absolutely. Listen to part one. Chris Todd yeah. was at that show. I still can't believe it. That's right. And you know, uh, yeah. I mean, look what Dallas has done for for you know for Motley Crue. That's right. So, yeah. And so they came back a second time, uh, but but they actually came uh, in between those two shows. They actually played a third time, uh, and, th- and I was sad that you weren't able to be there for this. I want to talk about this for a second. Was the entire tour was sponsored by Dodge, and uh, Richard Rawlings, who ha- was on that show, you've probably seen it called Fast and Loud. It's the, uh, the show about the gas monkey uh, garage. He's got uh, two bars. Uh, he has the Gas Monkey Bar and Grill, and then Gas Monkey Live, which is a, a Gas Monkey Bar and Grill is outdoors. Gas Monkey Live is across the street. And it's indoors. And they had this event for brand new Dodge owners, and they did this in a couple, I think, like three or four cities, where if you were a brand new owner of a Dodge, like like the brand new 2015 Dodge, right. you got the option to go see Motley at this at this special intimate event, and it was corporate as hell. Uh, I'll have pictures of this on my website, but I've never really got the chance to really tell you this story, okay. but like. Out front, now keep on Gas Monkey Live is next to a movie theater. It's, a, it's in a strip mall. It's over here, you know, in the, uh, Northwest Highway in Dallas. And they had this, the whole front parking lot gated off. And each member of Motley Crew pulled up in their own Dodge Charger <laughs> and got out oh, one my. at a time. Now, of course, all the fire and the bells and whistles, and of course, we haven't even talked about Tommy's. Uh, insane uh, drum mm-hmm. thing we're going to get to. And so if we, if I didn't get to go, because, you know, people were talking about how, like, maybe after the Staples show that they were going to do one last little set at the okay. whiskey, right. uh, go, right. uh, the whiskey, and it didn't happen. So I was like, oh, I'm never going to. But I can say that I actually got to see Motley in a club. It was in 2015, but I got to see them at a club. Right. And it was so insane. It was um the same set list as that we saw, except minus the Too Fast for Love material. Uh, um, and I think it was shortened by maybe a couple more songs. It was a, it was a bit of a short set. I think they played like 14 songs as compared to like 18 or whatever. But I got to see Motley at the Gas Monkey Live in a private event on that on that nice. tour. Um, but then, uh, you know, then they announced that again. They said they were going to come back to Dallas. Uh, on that same tour, I said this would be officially the second time on mm-hmm. the All Bad Things, and Dodge being the exception. And you remember that this was this was the week of your birthday last year, right. and uh, I was out in Dallas doing something, and you were busy, and, and I didn't even tell you what we were doing. I That's just right. told yeah, you to meet me right. in front of House of Blues because I didn't want I didn't want to tip you off, and so that we were going to walk. If you know Dallas downtown, you know that you would walk up to the American Airlines Center. Mm-hmm. What do you remember remember about that day? Uh, yeah, you know, again, I remember showing up, meeting you, uh, that was at the AAC, American, American Airlines Center. Yeah. Um, and you know, again, it was a nice day. Um, you know, and I, I think that at, at that point I kind of, kind of had an idea sure, probably what I was in for, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, again, 
and I was so glad that we were able to do that. That's right. And we're be there together again uh, to, to see the show. Now, did seeing it a second time, did it do anything to cheapen the first one for you at all? No. But, but, but didn't you still kind of felt like that we said goodbye the first time? And this did the second time feel like the real goodbye? Or did the first one seem like goodbye? No, actually, the first one felt yeah. the, goodbye. And this was just kind of like a bonus round. Exactly. Is that's, that how it felt that's for what you? it felt like. I mean, it was fun. It was like, we were really close. Of oh, great seats. Uh, yeah. And I think like we could feel the heat from yes. the, the pyro. Yes. <laughs> yeah, my eyebrows are still. So, no, it up. was good because I think it was great because the, the first uh, show. We were on uh, one side of the stage, on Nikki's side, Nikki's right, side. Right. and this time around, the second time we were on with on the side with Mick, on Mick's side. And remember, we actually were side stage, so we actually yes. were, were kind of on the wings where we could see Tommy and yeah, and kind of could kind of see everybody. Yeah, we could see everything going on. Yeah. so it was really cool to see um, to see the the crew and working. You know, the behind the scenes, you could see that interaction going on. Wow. Well, that, yeah. So, okay, think about that. Remember, you remember whenever we were sitting there, we we saw Tommy coming out behind his drum set, right. yeah, and he acted like he was like it was like his first show, and he was twelve years old, and, yep. and that that excitement that kind of carries them through. What, what do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, totally. It, that was a fun night, but yeah, again, it didn't cheapen the, watching the first show at all. You know, um, it, it, like you said, it, it was just icing on the cake. Yeah, it was another, you know, again, we got to see them again. It was exciting. It was fun. Uh, you know, it, it was everything that we wanted to see That's right. in this farewell tour. Well, I really felt like that well, the first time we saw them, I said, was really the real goodbye because we were so emotional and Emotionally so ready. Invested. Yes. And, we, right. and I remember us walking in and going, that was the last time we saw Motley. So getting to see them again, even though we knew that this was certainly going to be the last time, Felt academic, but if you remember, we were still kind of somewhat planning. This was still September. We were still uh, somewhat planning on trying to make those December shows. Right. Because after they hit every market twice and they went to Japan and Australia and everything else, they wanted to end it where it all began in Los Angeles with three shows. And again, the third one was on New Year's Eve, December 31st. So a part of me also, I remember whenever we parted, because since we didn't ride out there together, we had to say goodbye to each other there out in front of the uh, the, the arena. You remember this? That, right. you know? I kept thinking, we will be, we will do this. The next time we do this, it will be the last time, and that will be in Los Angeles. I just, I like, mm-hmm. I've already said goodbye. So if I don't go to Los Angeles, that's okay. Right. But but I still felt the need because we're a member of this gang, and I felt like we got to be there at the end. Do you know? Right. Uh, and I am disappointed. Uh, you know, I, I can't say I'm disappointed because like what you said, knowing that you and I were there together twice even. Right. Uh, holding each other, uh, like, like literally, like, you know, as best friends, uh, emotional and weeping and, and, and not afraid to express that uh, while they're playing on with the show and too fast for love. Like, like we got what we came that, for. Exactly. I was done. You know, I, 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 yeah, there wasn't really this urge or need. I mean, yes, it would have been great, but yeah, you know, I, I was satisfied, you know, uh, all our expectations, my expectations were met that night, that night. And then, right. and then again, again, I said that club show. And then the final time yes. I saw them in Dallas, uh, was just, like I said, the victory lap. And, and again, and that's not to say that I wouldn't have liked to have us to have made the, uh, right. you know, but, you know, obviously, you know, you know, life being what it is and, and I, I had other things going on and so did you. And uh, so anyway, so Motley played 
the the three things. No, they did not show up at the whiskey later. There was no private party. And <laughs> now, let me ask you that. Let me ask you this question. As romantic as that sounds, like when I heard that, and I even thought it before I heard it, like, man, they got to show up like, uh, like, you know, it's New Year's Eve. Like, you know, it, even if it was in September or April, I would have said, man, you got to show up at, and play the whiskey. But the fact that it was New Year's Eve, it was like, you got to show up right. and do it. But believe it or not, and I've been kind of down on Nikki in terms of his post-show commentary since then, which we'll get into in just a second to wrap this up. Um, but he said something very, very smart. And that's why I want to ask you, was it, okay, I would have loved if we have been there to, to, you know, an hour later, New Year's Eve, gone to the whiskey to see Motley. That's the real final show. But he said, we can go out guns a-blazing, because even the final show was even crazier than the two shows that we saw. Right. Those three shows had even more insanity in terms of lights and confetti right. and, and, and insanity. We can go out like that, and that's how people can remember us? Or we can hobble through a 30-minute set with bat, with unrented equipment at the whiskey just to satisfy some purists. Like, right. is that really the way we want to go out? Or do I yeah. mean, it's New Year's Eve. We can go out at the Staples Center yeah. on top, guns a-blazing, fire confetti, or we can walk in and, you know, everybody's drunk and it's 3 a.m. and we hobble through – uh, you know, right. smoking in the yeah. boys' room. I think you're right. I think, I think that's really smart, man. Yeah, I think that would be a bit for the purist. Um, you're right. I mean, you're at the Staples. You know, you have Vince Neil. You know, tears in his eyes. Yeah. Um. You know. Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine them going out in a better way, a more fitting way than, you know, than doing it that than way. Doing it the way they did. And we were actually able to see how they went out right. because it took almost six months. Uh, but uh, one thing that we did on July 14th, and it was in the theaters for one night only. Uh, I do believe it's available on Vivo now if you want to check it out. Was But they did film uh, that final concert, of course, uh, with a lot of little backstage stuff and little some little insights. It was very, very candid. It was. Under the package, which is currently supposed to serve as the final Motley Crew product from Motley. Of course, the movie The Dirt will be out sometime next summer or eventually. They've been working on it for 15 years. But, but I felt when you and I got together to go see Motley Crew, the end, the movie, I kind of felt as emotional as I did that night when we saw the first right final show. Yeah, I did too. Um, Talk about that. Yeah. You know, I think that while we were sitting down watching this, you know, you're realizing that you're actually watching the last show. Right. Um, so it, it, it gets sunk in, you know, like this is it, you know, I, it didn't really sink into me. I don't know why. Well, I mean, when we saw them uh, play uh, the farewell tour, um, but actually sitting there watching the film and, and seeing the footage of that that last show, yeah, it did it did sunk in. It was like, wow, this is actually sinking in that this is this is it. Yeah, you know? it was and, very emotional. And you know, but like I said we said goodbye at that first show, and so much so that when we saw the the second one together, I should say that we weren't as emotional. We were, you know, we'd already had said goodbye at right. Victory Lap, but it really felt like I was not only saying good saying goodbye again, it really felt like I was really saying goodbye this time. 
Like, like this was this it. This is it. And I think when you mentioned how candid the the interviews they were having yeah. in between, I think that kind of it, it added to that e- the, those emotions. Yeah. Because, you know, you hear them really talking about how distant they had become. Right. You know, and that's not something you want to hear. You don't. You want to. They're a gang. We're right. in the gang. Right. The gang's right. all here. What do, what do you mean you guys aren't? You know, right. right. You're, you know, you, you guys aren't doing everything together. You know, when you when they're talking about we don't, I think it was Nikki that says, you know, I we don't do Christmas, we don't do Thanksgiving together. I probably won't see them after this for you know a year or so. Uh, that really sunk in, and that that really struck a chord emotionally. You know, to, yeah. to see that the the dysfunction. We kind of knew it was right. we knew it was there, but here it is, and it, you know from it, the leader of the group who right. seemed to be the most vocal about it. Like right. Tommy was kind of like, "Man, we all love each other, but dude, the process is gnarly." You know, yeah. and like you know, <laughs> tell me something that surprised you about the film. I, I think that would have to be it. You know, just really the surprise of hearing you know Nikki just really, you know, it almost sounded like it was disappointment in, in in his tone you know when he talked about how you know uh you know that they they don't really hang out with each other but almost like almost like i think i think the thing that surprised me that was disappointing for me was first of all i love the film the film is gorgeous see it it's amazing it but is. it's kind of like this weird like exciting funeral <laughs> that's yeah. exa- the best way to say it you know yes and i think what disappointed me was how relieved Nikki seemed that it was all over. He didn't seem sad. Tommy seemed real sad. Vince seemed real sad. Right. Mick seemed like Mick. Right. Well, you know, yeah. but Nikki just seemed relieved. I don't want to see relief from Nikki's. I don't want to see relief that Nikki is happy that this is over. I don't want to see that. Yeah. And I think that's what we got in between the, the live footage. Um, the live footage is, is excellent. Again, um, it does capture their magic. You know, it really does, it, you know, and you see this. This is our last show, and they, they put in a hundred percent into it. Yeah, you know? and, and the magic that they had up until the very end. So no matter how they were getting along, those four guys, the gang on stage, was making it happen. Yeah. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, of course, Tommy, knowing this was going to be his last tour uh, as Motley, he was going to go full Monty and mm-hmm. came up with something called the Crucifly, and is 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 just. Silly as that sounds, seeing it is the most craziest, most impressive, bananas, indulgent, ridiculous, awesome. I could come up with about 30 other different edges. Right. And it, as you probably already know by now, that on the last night, of course, it breaks down. Yes. Yes. I'm glad you mentioned that. And him getting stuck up there, I think it just added to the, uh, to the like... Right. Of course it did. Yes, of course it would be this. You know, and again, that was like an exclamation. You know, this is it. But it was just that was it was like I said, it was like an exciting funeral. But like I said, when they announced it, like, well, what do you think? Is this the end of Motley Crue? It's like, no, we're still going to be a band, and we're still going to probably going to record, make some more music. We're just not going to tour anymore. Okay, I get that. You guys are ordered. Don't want to tour anymore. And then it became to the point where, like, this this band is done. And then in the months since then, leading up to the movie, and as they say in the movie, it's all been like almost like he couldn't wait to be like, yeah, I will never see these guys ever again. Right. And 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 I think maybe it's just the relief of not having to see. I probably wouldn't want to see anybody for a while, uh, other than maybe a select few like you and my family. 
uh, if I was with them for, you know, right. was it 400 plus dates over the last two and a half years after I'd been in a band with them for 30 plus years before that. So, yeah. so, so, you know, maybe, you know, give it some time, maybe they'll miss each other. But in, in terms of touring and recording, I, I really, I, you know, I know that, you know, you know, they're all going to be still probably making some music in some capacity, but is Motley Crue, uh, I can't, I mean, I, it, it has to be the end, you know? Right. And and how do you feel about that? I mean, are you, I mean, would you would you be disappointed if they went back on that, or would you be excited about it? Um, yeah, I would probably be disappointed. Um, I, I think that this it was a perfect closure. Yeah. Um, I I mean, I, I agree. If they if they were to to get back together and you know write material, I, you know, I, I just I don't I don't know. Would that cheapen what they what they've accomplished and and how they ended things? You know. Um, when you saw what they were trying to write four years ago with exactly. sex, so I mean, what I mean, what would what would change? Would would the time away change something, or or, or would it yeah, better? I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like uh, you know, throwing out a, a, a like Jane's Addiction, for example. Yeah. You know, um, very similar. Like when Jane's Addiction, when they they called it quits, they left while they're on the top. It was it, it was it was poetry. Yeah. Um, but when they came back when the money starts you know a little short that's right Um, that's right that's right and and that's the thing i i don't want to have that feeling you know um if they were to come back together right even even write material you know i I think they're done i think they should move forward with other projects i think uh uh mick had talked about you know and you can see the excitement uh that mick wants to move forward with uh you know writing material right uh, right. doing some solo work um so I would be much more uh, interested in seeing uh, the solo work right. from these individuals. Um, I, I really don't think it's it's needed for them to get back together. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I, we could talk about what they've done for us, what they meant to, to That's us. Right. Um, I think it was a perfect ending. Good, good. Okay. And I agree with that because – you know, Vince had been a, a long, been a, a hired hired hanger. He sold out. He sold his his stake in the company uh, with the band ten plus years prior. So he was back out on the road singing those Motley hits two weeks later. You know right. what I mean? So they're you know, uh, and of course you know, and then Nikki is back out with his band uh, mm-hmm. six a.m. They don't do any Motley stuff. Um, so they they made a hundred million dollars. They uh, went out on top where it all started. At the Stable Center, right. they had a movie. I mean, no offense to anybody else, but if Rat had tried to come out with a movie in 2016, where would it have been seen? <laughs> it would have been a Netflix thing that, that, right. that you know, it would be like the Quiet Riot documentary. It would have been something that you'd heard about yep. but hadn't yet seen and, and probably wouldn't have access to for a couple of years, you know. But ultimately, like I said, Motley Crue, the end. You actually can see it on Vivo. Uh, we were there at the theater the night of, and uh, so uh, before we we wrap here, any final thoughts you'd like to say? Uh, you know, again, uh, I, I think it was great that we were able to do this. Um, you know, because really, I know that we, you know, I, for years, I know that we could always one thing that we we love that we have a passion for is music, and you know, I know that. We always used to enjoy talking about too fast for love. That's right. You know, it's like you know, like you said, you know, we 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 could eat, sleep, and breathe that album, and uh, and again, you know, just going through our, you know, growing up, our friendship, um, 
Motley Crue was a constant. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just really happy that we were able to share, uh, you know, share this band. And, um, you know, again, it, it's, 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 been a, it's been a great ride. And like I said, for 35 years, they were a band. Okay. Right. We were there for 30 of it, which was the entire span of our friendship. And like you said, to be able to sit down and, and on three separate occasions and just spend the day talking about Motley mm-hmm. and, and what they've meant, that's what I mean in terms of it's a testament to who they are, what they've meant to us, what we've meant to each other, what the soundtrack that they have provided for that, that friendship. It's, it's the friendship and the soundtrack of a lifetime. And I want to thank you for being able, I know how busy you are, I know how busy I am, and for us to be able to sit here, you know, I want to thank you for 30 years of friendship. I want to thank you for being able to sit here with me, and like I said, I, we, we have it in document. Right. You know, I mean, this, is, this, is, this has been just as much about our story. Has it been about Motley Crue? I mean, I mean we consider I could talk about Motley with anybody about yeah. Motley Crue, but this is just a, as much about our story. That's right. Yes. So to you, Chris Todd, I say thank you so much for 29 years of, of, of friendship and rocking with me to Motley Crue and 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 taking three special separate occasions, uh, you know, to celebrate that. Well, thank you. It's really been fun. I've really enjoyed getting to uh, spend time um, to to reminisce, um, to to talk about you know music that really inspired us. That's right. You know, you know and that's the thing. That's what being a member of that gang meant is about inspiration right. and just kind of like you know camaraderie, right? And identifying finding with. somebody we can identify with. That's know, right. That has carried us. That's right. And we 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 equate with you know. Mm-hmm. So again, to my, my co-host again this week, Chris Todd, love you, brother. Thank you so much. Love you too, man. And uh, to our buddies, Six, Vince, Mick, Mick and Tom, Tom. thanks for it all. One more